1: The time machine, What of a
2: DeLorean. This is
0: the stupid cancer show. Uh oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mundus. <laughs>
2: Hello there, children!
0: Hey, hey, kids! <laughs> People seem to like me because I am polite and I'm rarely late.
1: And now, the hosts of the Stupid Cancer Show, Lisa Bernhard and Matthew Zappi. woo there's anything wrong with that. Oh, <laughs> Yeah. <All
0: right.
2: laughs> Monday, February 7th, and welcome to season 8 of The Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adults with cancer. I am Matthew Zachary, a 15 year young adult survivor of brain cancer.
0: And I'm Lisa Bernhardt, 15 year young adult breast cancer survivor, and we are your hosts for The Stupid Cancer Show.
2: Got cancer under 40? Sucks, huh? Well, get busy living because The Stupid Cancer Show is here. Change the world. One chemo infusion at a time.
0: Tonight's show, the Young Survival Coalition. Our great friends of the Young Survival Coalition. Jenna Glazer, Young Adult Survivor Breast Cancer Director of Development at the Young Survival Coalition. Dana McCaw, Young Adult Breast Cancer Advocate and Development Associate at the YSC. And kicking it off in our Survivor Spotlight. Gemma Cabral, two-time young adult survivor, Hodgkin's lymphoma, Team First to Sense alum, Immerman, Angel's mentor, volunteer, advocate, all-around overachiever at the American Cancer Society as well.
2: Her official title is MakeUsLookBad.com. We have a
0: lot of guests like that.
2: Anyway, as a reminder, this broadcast is a production of the I'm Too Young for This Cancer Foundation. Online at stupidcancer.com. We help young adults fight cancer every day and are bringing the cause of cancer under 40 to the national spotlight where it belongs because it's not okay that 70,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer every year. Not okay. Not okay. Not okay. So, hello, my friends, and welcome back to yet another fun, filled and exciting romp through the hay on tonight's Stupid Cancer Show where remission is not a cure and survivorship is all that matters.
0: All that matters. And a Stupid Cancer welcome to all of our first-time listeners on the Blog Talk Radio Network and iTunes as we broadcast live from the Chemo Deck, our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan.
2: Alrighty, the Stupid Cancer Show has a live interactive chat feed during each broadcast, and we invite you to join in the fun, connect with friends, and ask questions of our guests. It is moderated by our fabulous uh, staff, Kenny Kane and Erin Tolbert. Erin Eloise, I'm sorry. I offended you if I pronounced your last name. She's in the other room right now. So anyway, we have a lot of institute guests tonight. The show is uh, packed. It's a hot room. Hot room. Very hot room tonight. In a cold, like to, in a cold town. I would like to welcome back um, from uh, her travails with the, the Obama administration, our very first intern, the lovely and talented Anna Brower, is back. Is back. Somebody else who shows us up. She goes and works for Obama. She's not near a mic, but she's waving hi. Yeah. Just a big hello to Anna Brower, are back. We are also joined by uh, James Manning and Trevor Howe, uh, new i2 Wires from Brooklyn and the New York City Planning Committee.
0: Yep. Yay. This is
2: Trevor's uh, our, our re- returning champion, right? You've been here a couple of times. And um, first and foremost, and last but not least, and not to be missed, the return of our fabulous, fabulous, oh. the only one and only, absolutely fantastic, Amanda Freeman.
0: Broadcast production
2: assistant extraordinaire.
1: Hi, guys.
2: You look fantastic. Thank you, Matt. Have you been tanning?
1: <laughs> I have been.
2: Okay. Is it through a gamma radiation machine?
1: Um, no. And <laughs> I was going to make a terrible joke about Snooky, but never mind. Gonna,
2: who, who's who's how, doing? How Snooky. Who does your hair? It's fantastic. <laughs> well, <Sloan> Kettering, right? <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> I have I have a personal stylist. You know, I floss mind to Topazide. Oh, that's
2: fantastic. <laughs> now I want to I want to chat briefly with you because it's really important that you're here today. To be, uh, rhetorically and literally, yeah. that um, you, before we get to our, our, our standard star. crapness stuff, you <laughs> are you are like the prototype archetype of how crap can go wrong when you're a young adult in treatment at a center, and how they can completely ignore the fact that you are not nine or ninety.
0: And don't you love being that? Yeah, <laughs> wasn't not, that a great experience not for you? Nine
2: or ninety. Yeah. And I think it's important that you just tell us a brief story of, of like why it's so important. We get treated age appropriately at hospitals.
1: Yeah, it's really difficult. I've, I've bounced around at multiple institutions, and currently I'm being treated at um, Memorial Sloan Kettering on the For your the diagnosis, remind the, remind
0: the two people who might be listening who don't know the fabulousness of Amanda.
1: Oh yeah, uh, for osteosarcoma metastatic. Um, so this is my my third go around with the disease, and um, you know I'm treated on a pediatric floor right now, and I I love my oncologist, and um, he's really great, but. You know, I, I am around a lot of one-year-olds and three-year-olds and nine-year-olds. And you're
0: and, twenty. I'm
1: 25, Five, yes. Um, You know, I, I would have to say that, you know, my experiences with MSK are, are much better than my other experiences at other hospitals, but it is frustrating when, you know, you fall in this weird gap where I, I have a pediatric doctor so I have to be treated on a pediatric floor, yeah. But I'm old enough that with if they have enough sick babies who come in, they kick me off the floor, and then I'm I'm on an adult floor, and none of the nurses know what to do with me, and they're not familiar with my case, so I'm sort of forgotten about, and nobody comes around to see me, um, or or there's not a hospital bed for me because there are just younger people who are sicker than me, and I can't get my chemo, you know. So for... you went
0: you went in to get your chemo this last go around just a few days ago, and couldn't be. You couldn't get it because you, there was no bed for you, there, right?
1: Yeah, there was no bed. And, you know, it's an unfortunate situation because... At Memorial
0: Sloan Kettering, there was Sloan no Kettering, As great an institution as that is, but you couldn't get treated because there was no bed because right. you fall
2: in between. No, they, they're not a sponsor. We can rank on them. Yeah. Well, you know, there are only 36... <laughs> we can rank on pretty
1: much everybody right now.
2: Yeah. In terms of sponsors, there are, there yeah. are
1: only 36 beds on the pediatric floor. And, you know, I have to be on, be on that floor so they can't stick me anywhere else. So even though technically... I'm an adult, but it's just protocol and the way things work. And it's it's a little frustrating that, you know, more can't be done, that there can't be a second floor for, you know, young adult patients like myself um, sort of, you know, for our own needs to be taken care of. and Right. So because there's no young adult wing per se, you get punted
0: from pediatrics to adult until you get punted out of the hospital with no treatment.
1: Exactly.
2: Fabulous. So i got to – I know you don't want to talk about it, but I'm going to make you talk about it, <laughs> bitching out an 80-year-old. <laughs>
1: well, so I, I had been moved from the pediatric floor uh, to an adult floor, and it happened to be during a week when I had no white cells, no red cells, no platelets, uh, you know, fevers of 102, 103. No white sauce, no red sauce, no wine. You know, exactly. Didn't have my mom, you know, didn't have, you know, my my friends who normally are with me. And I got kicked out, and I just sort of flipped out on this 80-year-old woman who decided to be less than nice to me. And, you know, my my uh, personality took a turn for the worse, and I said a lot of things that maybe the 80-year-old didn't deserve. But... You know what? She's seen a lot. She's been around the block.
0: She's 80. She can take it. It's not like it, was, it would be worse if it was a 5-year-old. But Probably. I mean an eighty year old, you know, buck up was it, was,
2: it, was it the uh the chick from Titanic?
0: <laughs> no, she's like a hundred and seven. Oh, okay, okay. An eighty year old is like a juvenile.
2: That's right, that's right. Okay.
1: Yeah. Well I, think... I don't like that woman. <laughs> <laughs>
2: she threw the the gem rolled over the boat. No one got the cash in on it. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway. Yeah, screw it. But you know, it... <laughs> stupid old women.
1: <laughs> I was ready to, you know, get what was coming to me from this. This little old lady who actually wasn't very nice at all, and I guess maybe I surprised her so much from stepping out of my comfort zone. But she was just like, "Oh, okay, I'm sorry." Like after I just swore at her in like like ten minutes. Yeah, Amanda Freeman. (laughs) You you you
0: completely overhauled her personality. It's not too late for anybody at eighty. She 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 caved. She saw the
2: error of her ways. Yeah.
1: Well, I'm considering maybe not being so nice um, in the future. It, it seems to pay off.
2: Well, yeah. your new t shirt says, I will tear you one.
1: <laughs> I like that idea. Yeah.
2: In any case, um, some somber news. I wanted to mention the passing of a friend from D.C. We obviously lose so many hundreds of people every day to this uh, horrible disease, but uh, there was someone very special. Uh, her name was Bethany Richmond, and she passed away this week, I2Y Metro D.C. She's one of the reasons why we have a D.C. Metro chapter. Uh she was very passionate and I told her sister and her family that we would give her a, a moment of silence on tonight's show. So just a moment. All right. Bethany, you will be you will be missed. Um and now for the most awkward segue possible. Uh I had a stroke. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> okay. Yeah, I stroked yeah. out. I stroked out. Um, Go I woke, big,
0: Matthew. Yeah, yeah. I, I like that. That yeah. was good.
2: And I struck out. Yeah. Or oh, the segue. All of it. All of it. The, the whole package. All of package. it. All of it. <laughs> I am on the fire stroke, tonight. The stroke the
0: segue. You've exactly. got it. You've got it going on.
2: Yes. Mm-hmm. I um, I woke up uh, a week ago Sunday, not this Sunday, but the week before that Sunday, with a speech impediment, and I didn't think anything of it because you don't know you have a speech impediment until you start talking to people. And I'm home with my wife and my kids and ooga booga Doesn't really cut <laughs> it, it sounds in. Sounds like speech a speech to my, my, right there. My, yeah. my nine month old. And um I don't know, I went back to work Monday, Tuesday we did the show, mm-hmm. uh, Tuesday and then Wednesday I, asked I my didn't staff, notice
0: anything during the show. No no I yeah. I don't
2: understand. Um why it didn't seem to be as pronounced on the show. Maybe I was hepped on my caffeine or something, I'm not sure. But I, I over, either overlooked it or it was whatever. Like, it
0: was like Jim Neighbors when he sings. <laughs> <laughs>
2: or Bob Dylan. Right. <laughs> exactly. That was Eddie Vedder, it, it, sorry.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> it just, no, it just it just vanished when you put on your radio voice. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So my radio voice, that is, this is my radio voice. Yeah. So um, on Wednesday I asked my staff, I was like, have you guys noticed that I'm like stammering on some words and my tongue isn't as like whatever. And they said, ah. So I called our chairman, Dr. Sender, and said, this is going on, please help me. So he wrote me a script for an MRI. So uh, between the time of that and the MRI, I had traveling, so I couldn't stop my traveling. Well, it was on my wife's 30th birthday, and we wish her a happy, happy birthday. birthday. Happy birthday. <laughs> She's in the room. I love you, baby. And um, basically uh, had the MRI on Staten Island, which I will never, ever, 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 ever do again. Mm-hmm. And um, Because I thought you were
0: rid of that borough, no?
2: No, I went there because it Staten was, no, well, yeah. I honestly have had my follow-ups there because it's cheap, and they take my insurance, it's convenient, There's parking, I get in and out real quick, and it's not so low-quality crap that, like, the doctors can't read it and tell you you're fine. So I've been doing that for, like, ten years, and it's mm-hmm. been fine. All of a sudden, there's, like, this weird thing that comes up, and the radiologist report says I have a brainstem glioma, which is, like, God, what? I can say fuck on this. Show tonight, mm-hmm. just because of that matter.
0: No, absolutely. Literally.
2: And, like, it just, what? Yeah. So it turns out, after, like, 24 hours of disaster and emotional crashing and, and ridiculousness, that it was misread. Because <laughs> the radiologist at this clinic on Staten Island an
0: idiot.
2: was um, of the equivalent of dirt IQ.
0: That was one of our esteemed guests chiming in early with, 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 with "He's an idiot."
2: Exactly. Yep. Um, he wasn't. We like that. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it turns out, I mean, not that it's fabulous, but I had a mini stroke, and in my sleep, and that is what it's causing, or what caused, and it's better now. Um, the speech impediment, and the I had some motor coordination typing. I, had, I usually had to never look at my hands when I type. I had to look at my hands because they weren't like. Coordinating with my brain or whatever, it's fine now. Everything's worked out. And you out. type
0: like twenty three hours a I the do day. type, I, yeah. and
2: I type twenty nine thousand words a minute. Yeah. So, anyway, I can't tell you how relieved I was because I, I in a panic attack, I called my oncologist uh, at NYU. The guy I've been seeing for fifteen years, because Salani is just my doctor, and Dr. Jeffrey Allen at Hassenfeld NYU was my uh, pediatric neurologist, and he said, "Come on," and he saw he saw me at nine a.m. the next day. I brought my slides with me. He looked at it. He said, oh, no, no, you had a stroke. He's like, really? He's like, yeah, yeah. He gets on the phone. He calls out like nine guys, like madmen. Get me this guy. Get me this guy. Get me this guy. He's on the phone. Like the entire NYU Department of Radiology, uh, Radio Neurology, neuroradiology, radiation oncology, like nine guys all confirmed that this is just a mini stroke. And this was an abstract of that TIA. So you've had... And then I breathed. Yeah. And then I started crying hysterically that I was so glad it just wasn't yeah. the worst thing it could possibly have been. Yeah. So, um I can't uh I can't speak highly enough of uh of how important it is to be proactive and to know your body and yes when you are a survivor you are a little more attuned to your body, hi Jenna <laughs> than most other people would be. But the minute I, I My initial symptoms when I was sick 15 years ago was I lost the use of my left hand and I started slurring my speech. So what else could I have possibly gone through? Now, the good news is that a um, a mini-stroke is self-repairing and it has been improving. And over the last week or so, I've noticed measurable improvements in the way I can articulate certain words, um, how my hands work on the keyboard, and um, it was such a relief.
0: And Matthew, you were telling me that there have been papers written that it is a what fairly common side effect yes. that for somebody who has a, the treatment that you had for a brain tumor to have these strokes in their 30s and 40s, is that right?
2: That is true. There are and, and that's what Dr. Allen at NYU told me. It's like this is a known side effect of brain cancer patients and actually leukemia patients as well. For some reason the treatment for leukemia, childhood leukemia can predispose you to stroke. Later because it affects your cardiovascular system with the chemo. I didn't have chemo. I had radiation in my brain. So these two different protocols, which they don't use on the same dosages or toxicities anymore, have been clinically shown to predispose you to higher-risk stroke, irregardless, and I know that's not a word, regardless, and I'm glad I caught myself, regardless of the fact of um, genetics, weight, height, blood pressure, nutrition, uh, activity, it is irrelevant to that. Your risk factors having gone through cancer treatment. All
0: of that stuff, I mean, it helps at any point in time with your
2: health. I've read different things, and I'm, yeah. I'm not supposed to read different things because the internet is for porn and nothing else. <laughs> so I made a mistake. What the did mis- the
0: pornographers say <laughs> about this?
2: I made the mistake of reading too many articles on the line. On the line. Uh, on, the line. <laughs> on the internet. It's made of tubes, exactly. And some people said that, you know, they were overweight and they. Um, had a TIA and they lost all the weight and they still had a TIA and then I had a stroke. or there's all these people are like I didn't do anything and it still happened. So I'm gonna learn on Thursday when I go to NYU for another scan and what they call an MRA, which is a magnetic angiogram. I think that's what it stands for. Uh, versus like they snake the thing into your brain and look it out um, whether there's other damage in my brain from a circular, circulatory cardiovascular perspective. And if in fact you know, first of all, I am overweight. I'm 30 pounds overweight. I can lose 30 pounds. That's not, a, that's not news. What is, not, what is news is that my blood pressure, my lipids, my cholesterol, my triglycerides are all that of an 18-year-old. I'm very lucky to have that my mother's metabolism. I mean, I, don't, I have my dad's stomach, but I have my mom's blood, blood circulatory. So I'm not at risk for stroke, especially being 36. So the fact that I am at risk because of this, how does that feed into the other factors for risk as I begin to age? And that's the big question I have to ask that I don't think there's an answer to, specifically because I was told that I'm a, I think he used the phrase, moving target Petri dish <laughs> of survivorship, where they can't quite know what's going to happen to me because I'm the first person this has happened to within the spectrum of my diagnosis.
0: Neat. And in the meantime, Matthew told me that he is at least temporarily renaming the organization to the I'm Too Young for This Stroke Foundation. Yes,
2: yes that is true. Yeah. Stupidstroke.com.
0: Yeah.
2: We have to we'll have come, some humor. We'll come back
0: to cancer at some point.
2: No, I got I to. Well, that, we'll do
0: cancer for the show because Young Survival Coalition were kind enough to come all the way in. No, but that. And then we'll, you know.
2: I'm, that, that just gets that. <laughs> I have that cue just for that right there.
0: So, how does it feel to have had two old people's diseases? would thought of. Cancer and a stroke. <laughs> <laughs> what do you, let's see, what 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 can we get? <laughs> get <laughs> See, that's the real message comes out. Yeah.
2: I don't need this
0: <laughs>
2: I'm too old for this. Anyway, let's get to our Survivor spotlight. But <laughs> oh. she's patiently waiting as we embarrass ourselves. <laughs> yes she is. Oh boy. Again as usual. Uh, what? Alrighty. Friend of Amanda Freeman, who I met because of Amanda Freeman, two-time cancer survivor, volunteer for First Descent, Immerman Angels Angel, and American Cancer Society volunteer, advocate, student, career woman, writer, public speaker, triathlete, uh, food addict, um, meat pie eating trainer, single mother, living just the extremely motivated life, radio show guest, female... Ovaries, maybe. I don't know.
3: It's
2: Gemma, you there? I Gemma Crow. Trying to come up with more adjectives to describe you. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so I'm really excited we got to meet each other. Um, unfortunately, we met visiting Amanda who's in treatment, but it's amazing we met visiting Amanda in treatment.
3: I think so. It was totally awesome.
2: And um, I'm gonna let you uh, just sort of introduce yourself, your story what you went through, how you got to where you're at right now, and um, take it away. Stage is yours.
3: All right. Well, I'm a two-time cancer survivor of Hodgkin's lymphoma, stage three. I was diagnosed in 2002 after suffering from high-grade fevers of 103 and 104, um, sun weight loss of 20 pounds in less than two months, and severe night sweats to the point where I drenched my bed and my clothes and whatnot. And I've been going on and off like this for about seven months, and – uh The symptoms started around cold season, so I thought I had a cold. was really proactive, though, like you mentioned, with your own um, diagnosis and whatnot. Um, Went to go see the doctor, and like I said, it was cold season, so he gave me antibiotics and told me that, take this and you'll be okay. So, you know, a few months go by, and the symptoms were on and off, and spring came, and I still had the fever and whatnot and started missing some days at work. Went to see the doctor again, and he said, well, Gemma, you're overweight, so take this and you'll be Okay. So you know, I listened to him, and a few more months pass on, and I start to lose weight because I lost my appetite and I was really sick. And I went to see the doctor again, and by this time I already had the talk with the employer that you know my absenteeism was getting a little too high and was 17 days of work. And so I went to the doctor a third time, and he was like, "Well, Gemma, you're stressed out. Go take this, and you'll be okay." Well, I got a little tired of hearing that and whatnot, so I went to see my mom, who's a nurse, and she worked for a doctor, and told him my symptoms and everything he palpitated my neck and felt enlarged lymph nodes and said to me Gemma I think you have lymphoma well I was 23 years old and I had no idea what that word meant so I had asked him well what does that mean he looked at me and said he'd be right back he left the room came my mom came in with tears in her eyes and I thought to myself oh god I must be dying and I asked her I said mom what the heck is going on what's lymphoma And the next three words that came out of her mouth is words you should never have to say to your child she's like you have cancer and from there life kind of sped past along I had chemo for six months and then six short months later the cancer went into remission four short months later after that I was scratching my neck felt a lump called my doctor and sure enough by the end of the week I was in um, the hospital for another biopsy and Mother's Day weekend I was diagnosed with a relapse of um, Hodgkin's lymphoma so from there I had a uh, stem cell transplant where I was my own donor and recipient. I was really lucky that my cancer didn't um, hit my bone marrow, so I was able to be my own donor and whatnot. And um, I prepared for my stem cell transplant via chemo. Uh, The first round was on June 21st, my birthday. So I celebrated my 23rd birthday with chemo instead of birthday cake. And then I got to go home and whatnot, and um, I had to take neupogen shots where you – It's supposed to boost your cell level so that your um, stem cells come out into your bloodstream and everything so that they can extract it and whatnot. So that all happened between June and August. And then I was finally brought into the hospital, and I was supposed to be in for 30 straight days for a stem cell transplant, and I actually got out in 18. Wow. Yeah, so it was pretty cool. My oncologist believes that it was youth and positive attitude that got me through pretty quickly.
2: Yeah, but didn't they give you Robitussin? Because I think we had that conversation.
3: Did they, no, they it's gave you an antibiotic, right? No,
2: when you were when they originally misdiagnosed you with the with a cold or a flu or something.
3: Oh, they gave me different antibiotics and whatnot, and I'm allergic okay. every single one of them. But because
2: right, uh, I got Robitussin, but you got like uh, Sudafed. Oh, we were right talking about there.
3: we were talking about Benadryl, how Benadryl, Benadryl, Benadryl shots okay. for like you got Benadryl, I
2: got Sudafed, That's right.
3: Yeah, no, I got we are McNeil uh,
2: pharmaceutical uh, success story.
3: Exactly. Well, yeah, we have, like, the whole Benadryl thing. Like, every other chemo, they were like, oh, you're going to have a Benadryl shot because I'm allergic to everything. I found out I was allergic to alcohol thanks to cancer. <laughs>
2: wow. I think so, a yeah. lot of people are really happy and sad for you at the same time.
3: <laughs> I know, right? It was a funny story, actually. The oncologist came in, and you know how they always introduce what they're going to give to you before they stick it in your IV.
2: Like a wine bottle.
3: Right. So the doctor was like, how's your alcohol tolerance and I'm Asian, so we're supposed to, my mom says that we have this allergy. And I look at the doctor, and my mom's in the room, and I'm like, hey, doc, I'm a five-shots girl. I'll drink you under the bar type of person. Just give it to me. I'm fine. Nice. Very nice. <laughs> well, needless to say, maybe he should have listened to my mother, who was telling him, no, 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 don't listen to her, because sure enough, they administered the drug, and in less than 30 minutes, I woke up on a respirator. <laughs> wow. So yeah. is,
0: you're coming off you're coming off of all of this just this past summer. Then when I mean, you talk about June and August, that's just oh no, this
3: was about 2002 and 2003.
0: Oh okay, so, so you're I'm actually late 20 getting, now, 30.
3: I'm 31 now. 31, so. okay. Yeah, but when it all happened, I was 22 and 23. My son right. was two and three years old at the time.
0: So you how know, was I, How did you manage that? Did your mom I take was, care of <laughs>
3: Well, I was very fortunate. My I have a very good support system. My mom totally helped out my Cousins, my family. Um, I was married at the time, so my husband was, you know, a really big, you know, person in my life at that point. So he's he's always been a good dad, and we actually have a really good friendship, and we work really well together as divorced parents raising our child, you know, and whatnot. So. And how
0: did you eventually explain all this to your son?
3: Um, actually, yeah, had to kind of go go through all of it with me, because uh, when I was the first time I had my cancer i didn't lose all of my hair i used to have really thick hair and now i'm just looking at hair on my head it's kind of thin from my my perspective but um, the second time i went through it i really lost all of it so i started cutting my hair real short and whatnot and then one day i got sick of looking at falling out of my head and on my bed so i told my ex-husband who shaves his head bald anyways i was like let's just shave off my hair so what we did was we cut benny's hair which is my ex-husband he shaves his hair anyways we shaved jacob's which is my son and then we shaved mine so that Jacob thought it was a normal thing because he was so young at the time. And it was pretty cool because, you know, he, he touched my head and everything. He was like, oh, okay. And then when it came to going into the transplant and being in the hospital for 30 days, you know, I was in isolation and everything, and I was allowed to have my son, but they're like, you know, you can't hug your kid, you can't touch anybody, and I was like, I don't care that's my child. Yeah. Yeah. He's who I'm fighting for. I'm hugging that kid. I don't care what germs he has, you know. Wow. So but he, um I taught him that mommy's staying at the the doctor's house, and this is a really big apartment, and he loved it, <laughs> <laughs> only because of the fact that it was kind of funny, the timing, my mom would bring him in, because he would come in between changing of the nurses, so he'd come at the tail end of one shift, and the nurse would be like, oh, your son's so cute, can I give him ice cream, and then he'd have ice cream, and like 30 minutes later, the next shift started, and all of a sudden, the kids would get the second round of ice cream.
2: Nice.
0: You know, nope so, yeah. That's very sweet the way that you sound like you you dealt with that with him. I mean, I love the the, the image of the three of you shaving your heads together and telling him you're saying at the doctor's off doctor's house. I'm sure there's a lot of parents of young kids out there listening and would wonder, you know, how to talk to your your kids about something like this. Oh yeah, it's you know
3: I I've never been that kind of person where you know I understand that like, kids are kids and some parents talk to their children differently, but I've never really baby talked my son. I kind of had I guess. Adult conversations with him at a point with words that he can understand. Yeah, you know and whatnot. So and he he just he understands it. Like when he sees, it was cute when um when unfortunately Patrick Swayze was diagnosed about a year ago or so before he passed away. He was like, "Mommy, he's a cancer survivor like you." As uh-huh. soon as he hears that someone has cancer, the first thing out of his mouth is that, "Oh, he's a survi He or she, she is a
2: survivor like you." It's, it's amazing awesome. what they pick up. Yeah. So let me ask you. um... We love to promote our partner organizations here on the air uh, and in everything that we do. Uh, First Descent being one of our most visible national partners. uh, How did you come about them, and uh, tell us what they do for our listeners out there that haven't heard of them?
3: Well, First Descent, the way I came across them was I was at an Immerman Angels event in Chicago, their Survivor Day celebration last year in May, and. Johnny was like, oh, you have to meet Brad. And so he introduced me to Brad Ludden, founder of First Defense. And um, First Defense, what they do is they provide, um, in a form of therapy, through outdoor adventures, various different camps, such as whitewater kayaking. Um, we also do rock climbing. Uh, what it is is that they take about 15 different cancer survivors um, on a seven-day outdoor adventure and whatnot. And the cool concept is is that you're coming in, you don't really know anybody else, of the different campers that are coming in from all over the world. The only thing you have in common is cancer. And it's a really cool basis to start off of because you kind of have to be taken out of your comfort zone. Whether you do kayak or whether you rock climb, you're going to do this adventure with people you don't even know. So that was, like, the amazing thing. So I was introduced to Brad and May, and I actually saw on Twitter from one of the Immerman Angels um, interns that she was going to do a camp, and I originally looked into um, first the was was like, oh, I don't do the outdoorsy thing. So I meet Brad, and we talk, and he tells me about the camp and whatnot. And, and he's, he's so like, good-looking. <laughs> and, yeah, <laughs> and that he is. And he's a really cool guy, very down-to-earth, very easy to talk to and fun to hang out with. And, um, yeah, we were just talking about the camp, and the last thing he tells me is, like, you better apply. And I'm, you know, girl over words. So I was like, all right, yeah, I'll go online and I'll apply. And I applied. So, and, you know, ironically... Amanda and I were both in the same camp. We were cabin roommates and everything, and we actually got to uh, hang out in a inflatable kayak or what they like to call the death kazoo or a ducky (laughs) and whatnot. So it was pretty cool. The death
2: kazoo? Yeah. (laughs) The double
3: death kazoo. You can ask Amanda about that. Let (laughs) me ask you, uh,
2: we're running out of time. I want to get these questions out here. Um, Were you upset at all to learn about first ascents so late after your diagnosis? Was it one of those things where, like, you wish you were told about it? In o two o three,
3: um, I wasn't too upset just because I'm a city girl, so I really wasn't big into the outdoorsy thing until the last years, until the last six months, actually, until I got introduced to First Defense. Now I, you know, I belong to a kayaking club, and I'm going to go, you know, snowshoeing in Colorado when I go in town for their First Defense ball in April, so. Right. Very Gemma,
0: cool. Gemma, what do you do for a living cuz you referenced uh work earlier in terms of being having it be tricky taking time off.
3: Oh, for me, I yeah. work um I'm an, I work in accounting. In accounting at mm-hmm.
0: a firm at a corporation uh for First American Title. First American Title. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um and you are doing uh you also are a writer and a public speaker and you kind of just get out there and spread the good word it sounds like. Yeah. I'm,
3: She's a
2: Jane of all trades.
3: There you go. Yeah, I'm in the process of writing my own book, a memoir, just touching a little bit about like what I've gone through in life personally aside from cancer. I've had other, you know, personal things that have come up and lessons that I've learned from it. And then um I just go around sharing my, you know, survivor story. I like being able to be out there and saying, "Hey, I'm a two-time cancer survivor. It's been 8 years and this is what life looks like after cancer."
0: And obviously, I'm juggle a lot as you referenced. I mean, going through this as a young adult Having a child, going through a divorce, uh, lot, lot. You've lived a life, woman. Oh yeah!
3: By the age of 25, so everything else since then's just been a whole lot of fun. Since turning 31. <laughs>
2: well, I, I I want to thank you for taking the time to be on the show. I know you're going to come to the summit. You're going to the first sense ball. Um, uh-huh. Unfortunately, I'm not going to be in Chicago this Thursday. Um, but you will see uh, my staff, Kenny and Erin, um, will be there. Uh, at the um, the Happy Hour having a... What's the name of that place we're having at? Um, oh, I forget the name. I'm so bad with names. That's
3: okay, because I won't the Rocket be there Bar. either. I'm still, the Rocket Bar. I'm still in Arizona this week. I'll be there. Right. I'll go in two more weeks. Well, I
2: feel so much less bad now that I'm not going to see you, because so, you're not there. But anyway, Rocket Bar, Thursday night in Chicago. Johnny and our team will be there. You are awesome. It was a blessing to meet you. Not the last time we'll talk to you or see you, and I wish you Godspeed with your travels.
1: Thanks, Gemma. Thanks.
2: All right, Gemma Cabral, everybody. All right, let me breeze through the news here for two minutes.
0: And I'm going to jump on and announce something tagged onto your news at the very end. All right. All
2: right, let's get to the news here, and here we go. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is Eye on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. Already, during this part of the show, we make a series of special announcements to let our listeners know about a whole bunch of stuff, like free stuff that we don't want you missing out on, like conferences, happy hours, retreats, scholarships, support groups, concerts, kayaking trips, and more, I suppose. If you have something coming up that you'd like to hear us uh, spread the word about during this part of the show, send an email to info at stupidcancer.com. That is info at stupidcancer.com, and we'll do our best to get it read. To our loyal following And here's the news Alright, events.stupidcancer.com Is the one-stop shop For all your Stupid Cancer events nationwide Uh, And even in Canada Stay in the loop because something could be happening In your neck of the woods And we certainly don't want you missing out Uh, Please support Team Stupid Cancer Our running team for the New York City Half Marathon This March by visiting Teamstupidcancer.com And making a donation towards their fundraising goals Support our runners, folks Registration has launched for the fourth annual OMG Summit with 275 out of 400 Woo-hoo! slots taken in the first two weeks. 275 out of 400 slots. Woo-hoo! The event is six weeks away. Go to OMG 2011 and do not miss your chance to come to this event. And every Tuesday, tomorrow night, our partners at the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society present YA Connect, a free interactive webcast supporting young adults affected by all cancers. Check it out at LLS.org slash YAConnect. And, Lisa, your news. Okay, any under 40 female survivors out
0: there who are getting married this spring or summer, how's that for a specific casting
2: call? Not not too specific.
0: Please email me at LBernhard, B-E-R-N-H-A-R-D, at stupidcancer.com, and you will find out why I am asking. Under 40 female survivors out there, getting married this spring or summer, email me, lbernhardt at stupidcancer.com.
2: And that is your Stupid Cancer News. And now it is time to bring out our main guest here. Oh, yeah.
0: Jenna Glazer, the Director of Development at the Young Survival Coalition, is a three-time young adult cancer survivor because she is just that accomplished and kick-ass of ovarian breast and kidney cancer with a passion for breast cancer advocacy. Jenna has brought the voice of young survivors to Capitol Hill and Albany. She holds an undergraduate degree from the University of Michigan and graduated cum laude from Brooklyn Law School, so she's much smarter than we are. She's also a graduate of the National Breast Cancer Coalition Project Lead. And joining her, Dana McCaw, following a brief career as a professional ballet dancer, which is why she has impeccable posture. If you can see her, you can see how straight she's sitting up in her chair. And after earning her B.A. in art history from Hunter College, Oh, these husky accomplished guests we always have on. Dana McCall was introduced to her career in nonprofit administration and fundraising while working for several arts-related organizations. She's had extensive experience with planning and managing large-scale fundraising events, individual donor relations, corporate and foundation relations, as well as educational and community outreach. So she knows her shit. Dana has made this transition into healthcare and nonprofit fundraising when she joined the staff of the Young Survival Coalition in 2009. It is our pleasure to have Dana McCaw and Jenna Glazer at the Stupid Cancer Show.
2: Welcome.
4: Thank you.
0: Thank
2: you. You can move the mic over if you want.
0: But, I like I mean, to I like to watch you struggle, so then
2: again. Well, anyway, long time coming well, to have you here on the show. Nice to be here. But you. it is absolutely fantastic to be looking at four lovely young ladies across the way from me. Here We've at
4: outnumbered you, him. At
2: the chemo deck. Yep. We love it. We try to that. bring it. There was des- definitely a testosterone <laughs> underload. <laughs>
4: it's like our office.
2: Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I'm the odd man out. Anyway, what the hell is the Young Survival Coalition?
4: Young Survival Coalition is the premier global organization that focuses on providing education and support to young women with breast cancer. God, you're good. Thank you. you
2: I, say, must, I say that many times a day. You must be a professional. Some days. <laughs>
4: I say it many times a day. Um, but all jokes aside, we, we really are the largest organization in the country that focuses on young women in breast cancer, really exclusively looking at issues. I mean, you know, young women are different than uh, than our more mature counterparts. Than old men. I, I try, I you know, sometimes I say old women, and then I realize I sound really rude, and so my colleague um, once said the polite way of saying that would be more mature women. So oh. I trained myself to
2: refer to older well, did ladies you know, and more mature women. Did you know that they changed the semantic for the demographics of, um, what do they call them, of um, geriatrics, are honest. now called the matures.
0: Oh, I did not know. Yes. Really?
2: Geriatrics,
0: well, geriatrics was are
2: now referred to as the matures. The matures. So we, yeah. are, the, like a we Pixar are the immature. Film. Yes.
0: Sounds like a Pixar film.
2: <laughs>
5: <laughs> I plan on being an immature geriatric. Yes, okay. One, yeah.
2: I'm already the, one, so.
4: We are the immature.
5: I okay. can't
2: turn a stroke. I'm already an immature geriatric, so. <laughs> Anyway, so... Well, I'm
4: glad to see you're doing well. For, uh, for everyone who can't see Matthew, he looks fantastic.
2: Thank you very much. You, you look marvelous. You're okay. all hired. You're all hired. Thank you. Um, I first came upon YSC, your nickname, yes. right? That is still your nickname, correct? It is. Okay. Uh, for the time being or for eternity? For
4: eternity. Okay,
2: great. Um, many, many years ago, when I learned about your conference, mm-hmm. I was like, I can't go to this. Because so, I only had brain cancer.
4: Well, you could go. It just might be weird.
2: I know. I, I guess I didn't feel like I was eligible to go. Um, but I, I was opened up to the idea that young adults... Of
0: going somewhere with hundreds of women. Yes. Well, A, that, but I was yeah.
2: married at the time. Yeah. But even still, you know, whatever that... What, what my mm-hmm. father would say, look at the menu and order the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> I love my wife. <laughs> that's Quote, unquote, my dad's in the chat room, and I'll probably deny ever saying that, but that's okay. okay. Anyway, so I was amazed at the, uh, the, the concept that you could get hundreds of young anythings to go anywhere that wasn't like a rock concert, you know, that was something uh-huh. medical or clinical or social. How many years old? is the conference.
4: This is going to be our 11th year doing the conference, and it really is amazing. It's actually one of the first things that I did. So I was diagnosed with breast cancer when I was 33 years old, and I went to my first conference probably a year after my diagnosis, and I had already connected with other young women where I live in New York City. Um, But being in that place with, like, literally it's 800 young women every year, And someone said to me when I said I was going to this breast cancer conference, isn't that depressing, all these people with breast cancer? And I said, no, it's like the most fun I've ever had. And I came home and I said, you know, I really didn't realize how abnormal I had felt this whole time until I finally felt normal for a weekend. I finally felt like I didn't have to explain myself. I was comfortable in my own skin. And it was, I mean... It was fun. It was fun. Um, and it's an amazing educational opportunity. I mean, really, that's why we do it, um, right. is to make sure that women who don't necessarily have access to great medical information have the opportunity to hear amazing doctors speak, um, not just about medical information. I mean, there's a lot of stuff about um, yoga and nutrition during cancer and, um, last year I moderated a session on art therapy which I kind of rolled my eyes at when they asked me to moderate <laughs> and it was so inspirational that I actually did something that was so cheesy at the end, you know, when you're closing out the session I actually thanked the participants for reminding me why I do what I do every day it was, really, it was the cheesiest moment but it was really true because I saw people expressing themselves in a way that I really didn't think that they would um, so it's been, it's been a great event we partner with another organization Living Beyond Breast Cancer they're our co-sponsors of the event and it's uh, it's a tremendous success it is um it is still enrolling we are uh, what is
2: the website because we want to get as many young women affected by breast well, cancer and their so caregivers right
4: yes it's open to caregivers too and we encourage caregivers to come we've got a couple of sessions specifically for caregivers care for the caregivers we call them um so it is down in Orlando it's February 25th through the 27th um, and it's at the Peabody Hotel the website is uh, c4yw.org
2: C-4-Y-W.
0: Right, which is an abbreviation Gesundheit. for Conference for mm-hmm. Young
2: Women. Very nice. And
0: let me just say, talking about the fun aspect, having attended this conference two years ago, mm-hmm. um, one thing that I still uh, curse myself at having missed was um, a bunch and it's fabulous it's totally upbeat everything that Jenna said it's it's just amazing Um, and a bunch of the women actually after dinner one night went to because it was in Dallas Uh Dallas that year a bunch of the women went out to a local rodeo bar oh nice and they came back with these stories of they were like riding the bucking bronco machine nice and there were a bunch of cowboys like local cowboys in the bar and they were all pulling their wigs off and twirling them in the air and like throwing them into the crowd with all these guys with their hats there which just it sounded amazing. So is it safe to it's say, rowdy cancer survivors.
2: I was gonna say, it's is it rowdy. safe to say downtown Disney View Air?
0: Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs>
5: pretty much. Run for your life, Pluto.
2: Okay, yeah. ballet lady, what's up?
5: <laughs> hey, how's it going?
2: <laughs> All right. So, ha- had, what, how much did Jenna have to pay you to show up today? <laughs>
5: She didn't have to pay me at all, actually. I was looking forward to it. She was like, oh, we're just going to do this thing. I was like, I'm nervous. I don't know what to say. So
2: how does a ballet dancer <laughs> find her way her into nonprofit advocacy?
5: I'm sorry?
2: How does a ballet dancer find her way into nonprofit advocacy?
5: Um, actually, my my path into nonprofit advocacy, Administration, fundraising, it, it just kind of happened very backwards. I, you know, I, I was a ballet dancer. I had knee surgery on both of my knees. Uh, ended up going back to school, majoring in art history because it's something I always liked. Thought I was going to become an art historian. And then my mother said, maybe you should do something more practical, you know, or more realistic. Nonprofit is way more practical than
2: art history. What? We pay so much better. <laughs> <laughs> you might as well have but, gone to philanthropy, philosophy. Right.
5: Yeah. Well, you know, it was one of those things where I found out, you know, that it's actually harder to become an art historian than it is to become a ballet dancer and I already did that. And um, you know, I, I, I ended up sort of looking into arts administration which led me into fundraising and I just sort of Dana put some fun my, back in fundraising. Yeah, I just sort of made my made my way around and I just kinda of decided I could bring my skills elsewhere and I, I fell in love with YSC and the mission and Came in for an interview, and Jenna just happened to think I was fabulous. So, <laughs>
0: but tell us what development actually involves specifically, since that's the area that the two of you work in. Well, you
5: go ahead. Oh,
4: no.
0: We keep the lights on in, right. a, in, in a nutshell,
4: right? It's income development, yeah. so basically fundraising. Um, we do a lot of great programs. We don't just keep the it, lights on. Yeah, well, we do more than that. Uh, we do a lot of great programs, but it's expensive. I mean, for this conference alone, we provide $175,000 worth of scholarships for people to attend. So Dana and I spend the better part of every year um, raising money for all of our programs. And so development for us is uh, it's corporate. It's
5: keeping YSC going, really. Yeah. I mean, uh, you, you know, it's helping people realize that they need to make an investment in YSC so we can be there for others. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all about relationship building and maintaining them.
2: Now you just went through a rebrand. We did. Really? Yep. What was that like, and what what, what oh. have you seen as the outcomes? <laughs> it long.
4: Yeah, it was long. It was um, no. I have to say, it was awesome. So I, I before I worked in nonprofit, I was an attorney. So I never did anything creative in my entire life, pretty much. And when we decided to rebrand, I kind of thought it sounded cool, but had absolutely no idea how that would work and what we were going to do. And really, for us, um, the name Young Survival Coalition. Didn't necessarily mean a lot to people who didn't know our organization. The logo that we had didn't really represent breast cancer, and here we were, this really vibrant, exciting group of people doing amazing things. And our look—I don't want to insult anybody, but our—go um go ahead, say it. Our look was a little bit stale. It was a little bit dated. It was probably really great when they came up with it, but it really kind of—Well, seemed... yeah, at the
2: time you were—you're ten, eleven years old, right? Nineteen twelve. We started in nineteen ninety-eight. Well, there you go. In nineteen ninety-eight, yeah. like. Uh... In sync was hot.
4: Right. So things, <laughs> and 90, 98 degrees. <laughs> right. So things, yeah. were, things were a little different. Right. Um, and so really we wanted a, we wanted a brand that really um, had our voice and had our personality and had a logo that actually um, made young breast cancer survivors take a look and go, hey, maybe that's for me. Right. So it was an interesting process, but it also helped us really define who we are and what we want to do and spend some time thinking about the the women who we serve. And it's been I have to say it was a difficult process, but it's awesome. I think everybody in the organization loves the new brand. Um, our well, con- People recognize rec- what we do now. Yeah, people you recognize know, people what we do. People understand, you know, oh, pink ribbon, okay, got it. Right. Some people hate that. I have to, you know, I'm sure there have been people on the show who say they hate the pink ribbon. I kind of love the pink ribbon because it identifies what we do really quickly. And I know that people in other kind of cancer organizations wish that, um, they could sometimes have something that would be that easy to identify what it is that they're that they're doing. So I embrace it. Um we also rebranded the conference this year. It's the annual conference for young women affected by breast cancer and now it's called C four YW because saying the annual conference for young women affected by breast cancer is a mouthful. Um practice. And we also want it again, like we wanted it to have some life to it. These yes. are young women we're talking about. They're yes. not they are not the matures. No. They are the immatures. They are the young
2: people listen to me. <laughs> People Um, remember what I say.
0: You know what? You guys are also doing another event, I noticed, because I got an invitation to this on Facebook, and um, it says youngsurvival.org. That a friend of mine, and ours now, Susan Miller, a playwright, yes. is taking part in with Jill Ikenberry oh, from L.A. Law. Oh, Thursday. Yes. Yeah.
5: That's an event that's benefiting us. YSC. It's
4: is not actually our it's event. Not,
5: it's not a it's YSC not your, event, but it's it, right. it, That's but one it. of our
4: favorite third-party we're, things. We're yeah, actually yeah. so yeah. grateful
5: to our third-party fundraisers, people who want to throw an event for YSC. We love those we love people. people. This
0: yeah. is a big event. Jill Ikenberry who folks yep. know from mm-hmm. L.A. Law, and yep. like I said, my uh, friend Susan Miller, who's been on the show with Are Matthew, now Matthew's friend. Uh I'm actually going out of town. Aww. Sadly. We'll be there. I know. It's a bummer. Cause this is I would a, this hope is, you'd be there. This yeah. is this is a great event. Uh Pink Speak Breast Cancer Journeys in Poetry and Prose a fundraiser for the Young Survival Coalition mm-hmm. in New York City. Les Poissons Rouge, oui. One fifty eight Bleecker Street between okay. Thompson and Sullivan in Manhattan.
2: Uh Shalom. <laughs> That's right. Anyway, uh, for, for the Mehow <laughs> I know that goes is a cartoon my kids Nih- watch.
0: For the folks I've in New York, but uh, this is a this is a big deal. Obi winning playwright Susan, and mm-hmm. so anyway.
2: besides the conference, mm-hmm. which is your um, your big MAHA thing of the year, what other services do you guys focus on providing these young women?
0: We've got
4: lots of services that we provide. I mean, one of the biggest things is our website, YoungSurvival.org. We have the largest um, message board community for young breast cancer survivors, and I can confirm that. It's yeah, hundreds
2: of thousands of posts.
4: Yeah, we've got a lot of people on there, and um, we're actually so a little a little um, secret news, which is we're about to launch a new message board platform that is going to be mind blowing. I don't want to build it up or anything. It's awesome. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So that's coming soon. Um, We also have a peer match program through Survivor Link. You can call a toll free number eight seven seven Y S C ten eleven, and you can get matched with a peer. You know, to talk about issues that you might be facing that somebody else is facing. We have a guidebook that we compile a lot of resources. And actually, it is breast cancer specific, but a lot of the things that are in there are relevant to all cancers, medical um, glossaries, legal help, uh, how to talk to your kids about being diagnosed with cancer like you were talking about with Gemma before. And then one of our best programs that I love is called um, Newly Diagnosed Resource Kits and they are available online, and basically it's a it's a kit, including a treatment navigator for women who are newly diagnosed, to help them understand what's going on. I mean, you guys know as cancer survivors, you get diagnosed, you're in your 30s, and you kind of like look at yourself and go, what the hell am I supposed to do now? Right, exactly. And we really looked at that and said, you know, we need to provide people with resources. So in that moment of absolute terror and being overwhelmed with the diagnosis, we hand somebody something and say, okay, here's where you're going to start. Um, and it helps them to also organize um, insurance information. As we all know, cancer can be expensive even when you have insurance. Yes. And so we um, we distribute those through our website and we also do it through medical providers all around the country. So we've got a lot of um, national programs and then we have local programs too. We also too. introduced the Metastatic Navigator. Oh, that's right. That's a, what's that med- about? Um, same kind of concept, but for women who are diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer, another glossary, um, there's a really cool accordion file, really to help people stay organized. Um, and understand what's going on and, and the basic information that you need to ask your doctor when you're diagnosed with a metastatic. Um,
2: and how, how many of those kits have you given out over the years?
4: Oh, God, tens of thousands.
2: I assume we have gotten great feedback from them.
4: We have. Um, and we just – so it, it's funny, actually. Um, the newly diagnosed resource kit started out in one of our affiliates, and so a bunch of other affiliates started doing them. And when I first joined YSC in 2008 – they were putting all sorts of interesting things into these kids. <laughs>
3: um,
4: and, you know, some of them were comfort items like blankets and things like that, but we really looked at it from an educational standpoint and said, well, that's all well and good and everybody loves something free, but how is that helping somebody with their breast cancer right. experience? Right. And so I think it was 2009 that we changed it over, um, made it standardized among all of our affiliates, and we created the Treatment Navigator. And then this past year we launched the Metastatic Navigator. And I think this year what's in the queue is a post-treatment guide. So... You know, for anybody who has finished treatment at some point, you know that the the myth that people tell you when you get diagnosed with cancer is, oh, you just need to get through treatment and you'll be okay.
2: Uh, I had and, a stroke 15 yeah. years later. <laughs> right.
4: Well, so you know.
2: 15 years yeah. later. Yeah.
4: So you're not okay when you finish treatment, or at least most people aren't okay. The gift that okay. keeps on giving. I always yeah. say that. Um, and so really this is designed to... Help people understand, okay, you're done. Now right, what? Right. Um, now your oncologist has said, peace out, I'll see you in six months. What do you do?
2: Right, exactly. But you are you are the post-child for this. You <laughs> have been through the <laughs> ringer cancer? three times.
4: Yeah, I
2: have. Yes.
4: So I was... Uh,
2: you and, and as a breast cancer survivor, mm-hmm. going through other body part cancers, mm-hmm. working with YSC, did that community come in handy?
4: Oh, yeah. I mean, so I so I was diagnosed with uh, ovarian cancer when I was a kid, when I was 11. And then I always joke I had 20 relatively good years before I was diagnosed with breast cancer at 33, and then kidney cancer when I was 38. And so it was a totally different experience. I was so much smarter. You know, I mean, I work in breast cancer advocacy. So I knew, even though I didn't know anything about kidney cancer, I knew how to find the right resources. Right. Um, right. And I knew the questions to ask. And You know, it was actually, well, I was going to say it's a funny experience. It wasn't funny. It was miserable being diagnosed with kidney cancer. But I I used to say, you know, what could possibly be worse than sitting in a room with a bunch of old women with breast cancer? And I go to the first appointment that I have after I've been told that I have kidney cancer. And I'm looking around the room, and I say to my my girlfriend who's with me, I said, "Ah, I figured it out. I know what's worse than being, you know, in a room with a bunch of old ladies with breast cancer being in a room with a bunch of old men with prostate cancer, yeah, yeah. Um, it was it was truly eye-opening. And it's actually interesting because it really helped me understand how important the work that we do is because we have, I mean, we really, YSC, we do so much for young women with breast cancer. When I was diagnosed with kidney cancer, I'm like searching around the Internet trying to find things out, and there wasn't a lot. There are a couple of kidney cancer organizations It just didn't, there wasn't that same sense of community. Um, but I have to say, I have amazing friends who are breast cancer survivors. And so as opposed to when I was diagnosed with breast cancer and some of my friends couldn't take it, couldn't handle it, didn't know what to do, my breast cancer survivor friends knew what to do when I was diagnosed with kidney cancer. They didn't run screaming for the hills and, you know, not call because they didn't know what to say. So I had a really great support uh, support system at I mean, because the
2: reason I asked is the relevancy of body part-specific, you know, community is – like, relevant to the specifics of that body part. Mm-hmm. Like you said, if it's peer support, regardless of what type of cancer you have, I didn't care what another 21-year-old had right. when I was diagnosed. I just wanted to meet somebody mm-hmm. who had any cancer in college, and I didn't. Right. And it took me, like, seven years to meet somebody, which is ridiculous. So, actually, four years, but that's still ridiculous. But I was in New York at Sloan, right. and there I should be more, there people, should be yeah. more people there. But I think the the value of what you guys do is you give a voice mm-hmm. to young women. How do you see yourselves fitting into the larger breast cancer cause, if at all? Because there's just so much noise around, you know, sort of the big box groups and the ribbons. Even though you like the ribbons, there's a connotation to it.
4: You know, I think I think we fit in because what we do is it's unique. I mean, some of the issues that women face dealing with breast cancer are similar, obviously. But what we're doing is really unique, and we're—I think we're smart about the way that we partner with other organizations. I mean, for example, our conference—we partner with Living Beyond Breast Cancer. So we take this huge event, um, and we—I don't want to say it's not dividing and conquering, but it's really coming together to create something that's amazing, that's much better than what either one of us could do on our own. We also partner with other breast cancer organizations. Our lead sponsor for the conference is Susan G. Komen for the Cure. So we take on the part of breast cancer that we know better than anybody, which is right. young women. Yes. And we partner with the other larger organizations who help fund us um, to make our programs possible.
2: But is that because they don't offer young women support or they try to or you do it better?
4: I don't know. I mean, we just do more of it. I right. Yeah, and I yeah. think there are, there are organizations that are primarily funding organizations and then there are organizations that are more of the on the ground um, providing services. We're on the ground providing services. And I think that the reality is other people may dabble in dealing with young women's issues sometimes, but when you have your entire focus on young women, and that's all that you do, and that's all that you focus on, of course you're going to know it better. Right.
0: And, David, do you want to talk a little bit about your national, uh, your your uh, branch of chapters?
2: Because you're all over the country. Yeah, you so you're mentioned not, the affiliates.
0: You, the affiliates are that's all the big over the place. You guys I have
2: based big network. our affiliate model on you guys.
1: Mm-hmm.
5: Right. Uh well we have we have at the moment I believe nearly thirty affiliates across the United States. Some of them are um uh some of them are staffed, some of them are volunteer led, you know and and they pre- basically just spring up out of need. People want to start a group, you know, they wanna start a support group, they wanna start receiving YSC services. And I'm not saying that, you know, an affiliate can just sort of spring up out of nowhere. We, ha- we have to, right. we have to approve yeah. that. we have to approve no, that. There, to is that get crazy. there is process. There is there is process um, but I would say from, you know, historically they have not, um, they have definitely come out of the need for the area and come from the enthusiasm from our constituents in that area. Um, and everybody kind of does, uh, I, I don't want to say they do their own thing, but they do what is necessary for their area. If want, if people right. want to focus on support groups, then that's what they do. If people are just hanging, uh, handing out um uh, treatment navigators or, or newly diagnosed resource kits that's what they do um, so we we just sort of answer the call of what is needed in that particular area. Yeah, I mean, we find that every
2: city has its own culture. Right. Every city has its own agenda. Exactly. Every city has its own this and that and this well, hospital what works, or whatever. Yeah, what works in right. some
4: places does not work in it's
5: here in New York.
2: A and not Of course. Right. And yeah.
4: I think what's cool is, you know, we started our New York City affiliate. It's got to be like a year, I want to say it's a year and a half ago. We, it was which funny because we're based in New York City and we never had a New York City affiliate. And I remember when we did our first support group meeting, Um, We, You know, there were a couple of us sitting there, and I was just going, oh, God, I hope somebody shows up. I really hope somebody shows up. Oh, yeah. And so this, you know, this past year we realized that we are having so many people that we actually now have enough for two groups. Um, Ooh, and very nice. it's been nice to see people. Well, I was going to say it's nice to see people come in when they're newly diagnosed. I don't mean it that way. Um, Thank you for getting
2: cancer. Thanks for getting Have cancer. A seat. I'm so
4: glad you found us.
2: Yeah.
4: Um, no, but it's been it's been great because we've literally had people come in. They were diagnosed the day before, and they're right. hysterical in tears, and we're able to walk them through the process of what's going to happen, and then seeing those people come out the other side of finishing treatment and now wanting to become involved with the volunteer committee or our gala committee or. You know, wanting to give back, and it's been amazing because you see people come full circle and see what the experience has been. Right, going your on. alumni network. Uh, that's,
5: yeah, that's definitely the true mark that we know our purpose, and we know that we need to continue existing is right. when we have people coming back. Because I mainly work with people who are volunteering to be on committees, fundraising committees, and that sort of thing. And you know, they've sort of been been through it. They've been through every stage. They walked right. in scared, and now they're like, "Oh, come here, let me help somebody else now, right. and let me raise you money." And yes. you know, you yeah. need to be here, so that is a true testament and
0: i think even for somebody like me who's <coughs> over 40 um but who was diagno- diagnosed at <laughs> always 20- a young survivor <laughs> right who was diagnosed at 29 when there was nothing there was no Y S D, there was no i2y or something you still feel like you have an affinity for that group that was diagnosed under 40 mm-hmm. so you i would imagine you have folks that come back around even if they weren't involved with the YSC, in the throes of their treatment, who, like I said, feel that affinity for the young woman who's going right. through it, That's and, and participate in the organization. On we that.
4: have women. Did you? I don't know if, when you were in Dallas if you saw them. We had a couple. We have a couple of women who come to the conference every year, who are probably at this point in their 60s and 70s. And they come every year. I don't know if I recall that. Be- oh, and I, mean, awesome. I don't.
0: I don't think I recall that. Yeah, yet. they're they're awesome. They fooled well, you. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> They were quite immature.
4: They were not mature at all. I think. Yeah. Uh, I think they come mm-hmm. because they really yeah. want the young survivors to see them
2: and yeah.
0: to understand that. Well, you if know. they
2: eat your brain, they gain your power. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
0: trying. To I was serious. so. I was so. I was so blown away by the amazing woman who came from Nairobi mm-hmm. in her robes, mother of uh, three. Was that Princess Nikki? No, her name is um, D- Dalila. I'm not. I, may, I could be mispronouncing that. An incredible story. She was over forty, actually. Um, uh, stage four breast cancer. Who came from Nairobi, fully robed, but then she had these great sort of converse-like sneakers on, which was awesome with her outfit. That's sweet. And uh, she had written um, a local uh, newspaper story in Nairobi about what she was going through for her treatment. Uh, in Kenya, and it got picked up somewhere, and she actually was, had become this almost like you know, one-woman YSC uh, in, in Nairobi, wow. where women from all over the country were coming to her on what kind of treatment to get. And, of course, in countries like that, a lot of countries like that, third-world countries, it's considered taboo. And I remember she was telling me she had this incredible story of you know, her husband wouldn't talk to her, and not all her husband's parents disowned her because it was like, don't go near her, you know, she's 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 got something bad, stay away. And But she had an incredible story of, you know, her 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 kids were calling her, they each had nicknames for her, like Baldy Mama and all these kind of funny names. But then, you know, so here I am thinking like, you know, we're all thinking we're these sophisticated Westerners. And I said, well, is there a, I'd love to stay in touch with you. Is there a way I can get in touch? And, you know, she hands me a uh, a Yahoo email address. And I said, wow, I said, okay, I said, I'd love to um, see that story that you wrote. Can I find it somewhere online? And she says, no, but I have a scanner. I can scan it and email it oh, to you. Wow. I was like, I don't
2: even have a scanner. <laughs>
0: like, nice, very nice. Anyway, I'm an amazing uh, fabric of, of women who come to No, but it.
2: again, I think you've built a cult, you've built a subculture. And okay. I think that's what what I look at things anthropologically with what we've done, with you've done, how people get together based on affinity and need and Mm -hmm. find community. And it's not just that they are brought into the brand, but the brand compels them to give back. Mm
5: -hmm. Well, I I think that people go through a stage where, you know, they feel like they need to own it and they need to take control of it. And I, you know, we provide, I think, the channels to make that happen.
2: I I read something the other day. I hadn't posted on Facebook because I took a hiatus from Facebook. But something out of England came out that said that too much optimism with the cancer experience can be detrimental.
3: What? What do you think oh, about that? That's ridiculous. It's, Stupid.
2: It's a real study. It was a real science journal. You should journal. be miserable. Okay,
4: if, you're, if you're so What's optimistic you that you don't do any treatment and don't, I mean, if you don't actually address the fact that you have cancer. Denial?
0: Yeah,
2: I mean. I don't think it was denial. You know I think like telling people you're like, going to be fine, you're going to be fine, you're going to be you fine. You know what it is? It's those gloomy Brits. They, always, yeah, they, they don't. They don't, they don't
0: believe in that. They, they I don't you know, care cause they're the just, British. they're just sort of like, you know, buck up and get on with it. Like they don't, they view anything as being. And we I'm, just lost I'm,
2: yeah. Buckingham Palace as a sponsor. <laughs> we
0: we just lost um, Will and, a song, and and yeah. Kate. Or <laughs> Who's the couple that's getting married? Kate, Kate,
2: Kate and Will. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They
0: won't be stopping by on yeah. their New York visit. Right.
4: I don't. I don't think
0: that you can be. I mean. I, I think that's
2: a ridiculous study. And yeah. I have
4: to say, I mean, I'm not a Pollyanna-ish, like, you have cancer, yeah, you should be happier than you were before. Right. That's just silly. Of course not.
2: Um, of no, course, FedEx still messes up the delivery. Right, and
4: so. you have every right to be pissed off, and just because you have cancer doesn't mean you can't be irritated by people cutting you off when you're driving. But I do think Ta-da. there's something... <laughs> no, you know, that
2: sure wasn't you probably, me. That wasn't me. You
4: probably had those people, right, who they're like... Oh well you have cancer, you have bigger things to worry about. I'm like, yeah, I have bigger things to worry about and I'm annoyed by that.
2: Yeah. <laughs> um, but I
4: think that there's something to be said for trying to not dwell in negativity.
2: Um what is in store for the YSC? I hear you're launching a new website soon.
4: Yes, we're launching a new website. And I and I wanna say it might it might happen as early as later this week. But, you know, with technological things, sometimes it can take a little while. So maybe it's this week, maybe it's next week. I don't know. We hope soon. <laughs> we hope okay. <laughs> soon. Um, but I think that the, the the feeling behind it was really um, we have a lot of, you know, as Dana pointed out, we've got almost 30 affiliates around the country. And so when you've got an affiliate in your area, you've got, you know, a great access to supportive services and educational workshops and things like that. But there are a lot of people in areas where we don't have affiliates. Right. And so we really made it a priority to, build out our web content to be as deep as it possibly could and provide as much um, information as we possibly could for uh, young women dealing with breast cancer. So I think you're going to see a totally different um, website, and throughout the year you're going to see a lot of new content that's added, and that's, I think, really exciting, because as you pointed out, it really is about sort of affinity and and establishing community, and how do we do that nowadays? Right. Exactly. The, web, the
5: website is an affiliate itself. It really is. I yeah. mean, it, it's pretty almost much, subculture. Yeah. Everything you can receive in person, you can receive it on
2: the website. Well, we are really excited to uh, to have the website launched. And again, the website uh, URL for everybody out there.
4: Youngsurvival.org.
2: Alrighty, youngsurvival.org. I want to thank Dana McCaw and uh, Jenna Glazer for being our guests tonight.
0: Thank you. You guys are awesome. We're happy and, to be here
5: with you. No, we love
2: having interview guests. So I guess I'll just move ahead and go to our closing sequence, because it's a little hot in here, and uh, we're going to wrap up soon. So our closing sequence. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, Internet. You ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, my you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. All right, folks, that's tonight's show, our 169th broadcast since May of 2007. We hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick of stupid cancer. I'd like to thank our crowd, Anna Brower, Amanda Freeman, James Manning, Trevor Howe, John Sabia, and the Hillside Media crew with the live stream, Jemma Cabral, Jenna Glazer, Dana McCraw, my guests. Next week's show, the great and powerful Noreen Fraser from the Entertainment Industry Foundation and the Noreen Fraser Foundation. She's a breast cancer survivor and co-creator and co-producer of our partners at Stand Up to Cancer. And in our survivors spotlight, the lovely Lindsay it's Gina, young adult survivor of stage 4 alveolar soft heart sarcoma. Say that 10 times fast after a stroke. If you missed any of our past shows, subscribe to the iTunes podcast and download them all for free each week at iTunes.StupidCancer.com or check out the archives at StupidCancerShow.com. Remember, folks, If it's not stupid, it's not cancer. We'll see you all back here next week, live from the chemo deck. Lisa Bernhardt, Captain Stuping, and I wish you all a great week. Go to bed, czar. Bye, everybody.